I forgot about that. All right, and welcome to the Sins of Nats Town podcast. I'm your host, TJ Lenemar. With me as always, uh, Sean Hogan. Yes, Jay I am. O'Hara. Hello. I hesitated on who I was going to go with. <laughs> like, I've never done this before. Don't do it with enough. <laughs> you know, it's, it's out of practice. You don't do it frequently enough for you to remember. I remember my first podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's been a little while since we've done this. Uh, the playoffs have almost entirely played themselves out. All of our 100-win teams, uh, most of our 100-win teams, excuse me, are out the door. We still have one in the Astros. And then the one that everyone saw coming from the NL, the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, are tied up with them in the series as we speak. It is bizarre world. <laughs> Bryce Harper has hitched the rest of the Phillies to his back and has clawed them to the World Series. Uh, and a little bit of Kyle Schwarber. That's fair. Let's not, let's not shortchange some of our other former <laughs> nationals. Yeah. Only former nationals can succeed there. Everybody else, no. But that ended up, well, then yeah. the National League playoffs ended up that in every single series, the team with more former nationals on it won the series. So there were a couple of tiebreakers there, like the, the Dodgers and uh, the Dodgers, the Dodgers and the Padres both had two former Nats on their active rosters, but the Padres also had Craig Stammen uh, not playing. So I think that gave them the advantage, but then the Phillies had three actually on their playoff roster with Schwarber, mm-hmm. Harper and the hated detestable Brad hand. So, so what you're saying is they, uh, if, it will if we had kept all of them, we would be right there. <laughs> Especially oh, Brad Hand. Now, I I don't know what an outfield of Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto would have looked like. I mean, I guess Bryce Harper had to be a DH, so that would have would have solved it. Then it would have just been the 2021 Nats outfield. Uh, so I guess it would have worked out, but it is fun to think about. <laughs> But they very nearly fun? had a full roster. <laughs> yeah. Fun in a sense. Well, yeah. You got to do something. <laughs> That's true. So uh, let's let's run through a couple of these series real quick. Any, I mean, obviously the the surprise is the Phillies being there, but uh, anything yeah. else that really kind of jumped out as as a surprise from any of these series from the last couple of weeks. And the Padres actually managing to beat the Dodgers was pretty surprising. I mean, it's not shocking because they 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 were kind of running the same style the Nats in 2019 did, and the Phillies you know did to better effect this year, where you had the star players, um, and if they happen to play well, then you know it's not hard to win a five game series when your stars are hitting. <laughs> Uh, and so that, that worked out for the Padres in that Dodgers series. And then they kind of went quiet more in the Phillies series uh, that didn't work out for them very well. But yeah, it's not surprising. Um, and it's something I think we'll see more of as the years go on. Uh, it is something we've seen a lot of with baseball already is that uh, three to four of the teams making the playoffs every year in each league is almost always like the same. Like you're seeing the same teams. Year to year, you're seeing the Dodgers a lot. You're seeing the Astros a lot, the Rays a lot, the Yankees, frequently the Red Sox. Atlanta now is showing up almost every year again. 
Um, you know, Cleveland has shown up a lot in the central. So it, it's, there's a way to build a regular season winning team that a handful of teams keep doing to keep making it into the playoffs. But because the playoffs are just so different and so short that there is, and there's now these expanded playoff spots, there is another way that you can kind of construct your roster similar to the way the Nats, Phillies, some of these other teams have done where you just get like a small cadre of superstars and then say, you know, this is going to be just enough for us to get to 87, 92 wins, get a lower wild card spot, and then roll the dice that these stars will just play like stars for three weeks. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does work. Yeah. I mean, it's, I found it interesting. First off, I was very happy to see the Braves lose in just that Mm. over those last, probably, I don't know, six weeks or so, the entire narrative around them was they win because they hit more homers than anyone. And that's obviously why they win. And it's like, that's like a team that lives and dies by the three. Like eventually it's going to run out. And sure enough, it ran out. (laughs) Um, But then you have a team like the Mets who were more known for just putting things in play and getting runs small ball. And that also ran out. (laughs) Um, so it's, it's interesting. And it's something, yeah, it's something we talked about, like the Royals back in 2014, when they went on their first big run and everybody's like, Oh, well, look at this. Like they were this huge hit to contact, play defense, be running on the base pass all the time team in the regular season. Like, Oh, this is the new way to win. Everybody's going the wrong way with the three true outcomes. And honestly for the Royals, except for that wild card game against the A's where they ran all over John Lester. They've won, they went to the World Series and then they won the World Series the next year by being hitting a lot of home runs, getting a lot of, you know, extra base hits. You know, they weren't really playing the same style. They were striking out more, they were walking more, they were hitting home runs more than they were in the regular season. You know, it, it is in these short series, it is hard to have the momentum that a style like the Mets are playing can just kind of get you all the way through. Um, it, it's a lot like what we're seeing in football now where there's you know, the teams that are most successful are the ones who can end an offensive series in four to five plays. And that is just so hard with how fast defenses are both in college and the NFL, that if you want to try to put like a nine, 10 play drive together to just methodically get down the field, you're, it's going to be almost impossible because you're just going to hit too many decision, too many points there where it's easy for them to stop you. And then it's over. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even the way the Nats did it a couple of years ago, really relying on their starting pitching, we haven't seen a lot of that this postseason either you've seen pitchers kind of get chased relatively early uh, or get pulled Mm -hmm. early uh, whether they were really chased or not. And again, it's come down to the amount of offense they're putting up on the board, which I mean, major league baseball has to be thrilled with right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will say the, the, the one that went goes against everything everybody else is doing obviously seems to be the Astros, which is like, you know, they, their starter goes like six or seven and then they just have, they just go 
Dusty just goes down the list in his bullpen, the same guys in the same role every game. You know, if the starter goes one extra inning, he just goes to the next one. And aside from game one of the World Series, been working very well. There's been very seemingly very little variance to any of their games. They've just been steamrolling everybody, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, and I was amazed that they, I mean, obviously the Yankees have holes, but seeing them sweep the Yankees and, you know, not, you know, barely sweeping, you know, they beat them pretty bad. Uh, that was somewhat surprising to me. I mean, I figured they'd win, but not that by that much. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we sit with a, uh, a world series that tied at one game three is going on as we speak. Uh, I mean, if you had to put money on it now, you're still betting the Astros, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I like the Astros because I don't want a worldwide uh, Great Depression to start, recession yeah. to start again, <laughs> uh, which somebody is helpfully point out the last three times the Phillies have won the World Series, like the very next year has been, or just a couple months later has been the start of a horrible, uh, so like 1929, 2008, and I think the other one was like 1980, mm-hmm. 1981. Uh, so it's like three of the most popularly known global depressions <laughs> uh, in economic history. So it would be nice to avoid that. I guess it'd also be nice for Dusty to win a World Series, but mostly uh, avoiding recessions. My my rooting interest. Okay. Or just avoiding Philadelphia championships. That's my that's my rooting I interest. Behind all that. All right. Let's turn this to your hometown Washington Nationals who have not played baseball in a month. Thank <clears> God. <throat> yeah. Uh, it's been much longer since, than a month since they've not played uh, baseball. That's fair. That's a fair <laughs> point. Well, actually, before we turn this to the Washington Nationals, we're going to bring it a little closer to home and just remind everyone, this weekend is Extra Life. Uh, we will be streaming from the 5th until the 6th, about 8 a.m. until we decide that we can't go any further and need to go to sleep, um, which is typically, what, O'Hare, about 3 in the morning once the time has changed once already? Yeah, about 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, the second 3 a.m. Really, uh... <laughs> Once you've seen the time change, there's not as much to stay up for. That it's point. it's a little demoralizing when it goes backwards an hour. Uh, <laughs> I will say that. But um, we are raising money for uh, sick kids here at Children's National uh, Medical Center in D.C. So if uh, if you would like more information or to donate, uh, head over to extra-life.org slash citizens of Natstown. Um, yeah, and that's it. Uh, come out and hang out with us on Saturday, and uh, you know, keep us up for a while. We'll uh, we'll be going for quite some time. <clears throat> TJ had his like little egg timer for exactly ten minutes to start a plug. <laughs> I meant to do it right at the outset, and then completely forgot. So, well, all the confusion about who to introduce <laughs> first—you know—it's it, hosting a podcast. Understand really that hard you would job. then. <laughs> you would forget what you wanted to say right after that. 
All right, to your Washington Nationals. I mean, obviously not much has actually happened yet because nothing happens until the World Series is over. Uh, There have been some shakings that Ted Leonsis and company uh, are emerging as a front runner in the national sale. And now there's talk that that sale may not conclude until 2023. Yeah, I mean, not not really surprising with the way these kind of things kind of go down. That if somebody was announced as a favorite, that that also probably means that it's not imminent, um, because otherwise they would be you know quiet and focused on trying to actually get the deal done, and not you know once it becomes public, that means that almost certainly means there's something holding it up. Uh, in this case, it seems to be Masson, as it always is. <laughs> so, Leonsis seems to be the one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that he's a favorite. That would be in the best position if the um oh I can't think of the right Angelus brothers and mm-hmm. mom uh were you know, able to kind of get together and decide that they don't really care about owning Masson anymore. Uh, which I would because there's also rumors that they're interested in selling or at least what is funny is that both parties. So there's a fight on the Angelo side where like one of the brothers and the mom on one side and the other brother is saying that the other two are forcing them out of the decision-making process. And so there's lawsuits there, but it's funny is that both of them seem to want to move the team, but are accusing the other one of not wanting to, (laughs) uh, which is fun. But in any case, there does seem to there's you know there's a lot of rumors that the Angelos progeny are ready to get rid of the team, so it doesn't really make sense for you to keep owning Masson or to care about territorial rights in an area that you're about to leave. Uh, so you you'd think it would be right for them to be able to give up control of Masson and let the Nationals and potentially the Orioles both be owned by whoever buys the Nationals if they can come up with a side mm-hmm. deal. Leonsis would also be in very good position for that as the new whole owner of NBC Sports Washington, which, you know, and also looking at his streaming uh, ideas as well, I'm sure would love to be able to get the local rights to all of the teams that anybody cares about this side of the NFL uh, onto one network that he can then also turn into one streaming platform in the future. Uh, You know, and I think as fans, that would I mean I'd much prefer to be able to purchase, you know, if cable goes the way of the dodo, you know, one subscription to Monumental that gets me the Cavs, the Mystics, the Nationals, you know, and if I were interested, the Orioles and the Wizards and the Capital City Go Go and whatever other nonsense they want to put on that channel, um, then having to split that up between like three or four separate purchases. So, you know, I think Leon's is his best position to resolve that mass and dispute, but. Who's to say, like I said, the Angelos is have their own problems and they might still have a bunch of, you know, Peter's out of the picture, but there might still be some pride there that they don't want to get rid of the one thing he fought really hard for in when the Nationals moved in so easily. So we'll have to see. I mean, it's essentially not a blank check forever, but I mean, you know, it's a revenue stream you know, or they get, you know, whatever percentage of the NAS revenue indefinitely. So 
we'll see if they'd give it up. I'm sure there's a dollar amount that they'd give it up for. Maybe it's just right. Drop well, the not- uh, drop the lawsuit or something. Right. And the issue is it's not really known how much of a revenue stream it is. I mean, yeah. as fans know, they've been cutting a lot of costs at Mass, and sometimes that's just to get turn a big profit into an even bigger profit. Uh, based on the advertisements we see on Masson, the complete lack of any other programming besides random regional football games from the ACC or the MEAC. Um, you know, they're not really putting anything on the channel. There's nobody watching it except for during the game. And then the advertisements they're putting on during the game are not really premier advertisers that could possibly, you know, they're not really going to be paying that much for them that, you know, I can't imagine they're getting that much revenue. Uh, and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if more teams, you know, a lot of teams bought their own network so that they could, you know, cut out the middleman. But I think a lot of them are learning that actually it's better to have the middleman overpaying what they're actually worth than having the thing and you just get it at its actual mm-hmm. value. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think Masson really makes that much money. Either I don't even think from a financial perspective it's a huge thing. I mean, I think Leon's, especially with the ease that Leonsis was able to buy NBC Sports Washington, mm. I can't imagine even that channel was getting so much money uh, that you know it was prohibitive. You know, and he really bought that more for the streaming rights and his future, digital future, and what his vision was for that uh, more than anything else. So. Yeah, I mean the the Nats and the O's are bickering over a hundred and five million dollars, which is a lot of money. But when you split it out over, I mean that's over that's like ten years or something, right? I mean it's a it's a decent period of time. So you annualize that out. Well, it's hundred five. Yeah, well, that's hundred five on top of what they already owed the Nats, and it's like the arbitration award was instead of getting paid. I think for the four-year period that they're fighting over, which I think was 2012 to 2016, um, I think they were paid like 65 or 70 per year, uh, and they wanted, and I think the MLB arbitration panel offered was, awarded them like 105 mm-hmm. per year, uh, and then so like over those four years, it's something like that. Like they, it must be like 75 and 105, and so then over the four years, it's you know 25 million a year or something like that. Um, that math is wrong, but 175, whatever the difference is, it's enough that, you know, it's like you said, it's not that much money overall, but it is a significant increase in how much they're paying. Um, and we don't really know there's a difference there between like that and like, you know, what the Nats are doing with deferred contracts where, you know, they say, okay, we're going to pay Scherzer and Strasburg in a deferred manner. That means they put that money away in an in investment or savings or bonds or some kind of account so that it grows at a rate higher than inflation. And then they, you know, make that payout later to the player. In this case, it is almost certainly likely that the Orioles did not put any money away whatsoever <laughs> in Masson under the assumption that they would eventually win and be, you know, allowed to pay what they already paid. So you know, all of a sudden you have a hundred million dollars. It doesn't sound like that much, but when you have, you know, maybe five million in reserves, and somebody offers, tells you you now have to pay a hundred five, 
that's going to be difficult to get the money out for it. Yeah, that's fair. Which, you know, again, would be another reason why you would think that they'd be interested in selling it as, I mean, these court cases are getting close to finishing. I can't imagine, like I said, that their period of time they're arguing about is 2012 to 2016, which means that this case started prior to 2012. Like this argument started prior to 2012. Like they've had, they've gone back and forth into Entire decade. Uh, litigation for a decade. A lot of it is around, you know, multiple ideas of the MLB kind of being unfairly on the side of the Nationals and their remediations not being accurate. But you can't imagine this is they're going to be able to keep getting cases that much no. longer for this. Like, how many different to- appeals can they do? <laughs> like, what is left right. to appeal? Right, <laughs> if and I do payment, every time <laughs> that payment's going to come due. And then it's going to be interesting, like for the 2016 to 2020 period, you would assume that MLB would have learned from the 2012 to 16 cases and cut out a lot of the stuff that they litigated on previously. So you can't imagine there would be nearly as much potential for litigation there. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Somebody who's a lawyer might say I'm 100% wrong on this, but these things have time limits to them. You can't argue forever. Eventually, it's going to stop. And you're going to have to be on the hook for that $100 million. You're probably going to be on the hook for another $100 million plus for the 2016 to 2020 period. You're now in the 2020 to 2024 period. You're going to have the 2020, probably the 2024 to 2028 period. It's going to be you know, part of this. You know, It's going to cascade. I mean, this is going to be, could end up being huge amounts of payments. I think it makes a lot more sense to just do a side deal with whoever's buying the Nationals for them to take over the network, especially if it's Leonsis, and be like, well, who cares if you know this gets ruled in our favor or not anymore? We're not on the hook to pay it. You know, Leonsis can just bankrupt Masson by going to summary judgment and then have it be taken over by NBC Sports Washington or something. You know, there are a lot of ways where they can get out of this where you know everything's viable and the the Angeloses don't owe anything. One and two get some money out of this and then three, get rid of any liabilities that tie them to Baltimore, the DC market before they're looking to sell the team and move it to Nashville or wherever else they can go. All right. It's enough sale talk for now. What else do we have? Let's see. You have arbitration projections. I can go through them. You want to just say, you can just do yes or no. Okay. And then if you feel like we can pause and discuss further um, for any of these players, I feel like most of them, it well, we won't require it. But so this is in, no, oh, it's in uh, how they're, they're, how many years they've been active. I was like, this is not in any alphabetical order, but I realize now it's in order of how long, how much service time they have had. So far. So our first one here for the Nats is Carl Edwards Jr. at 1.6 million. Sure. Yeah. Leaving yeah, I mean, the 700K was- now. I mean, what's another 900K on top of that for yeah. someone who's comp- very competent this year? Right. Well, and then the other thing is you didn't trade him at the deadline, which you probably could for a lottery ticket. Um, and you, they decided to hold on to him, so it would be a pretty wild decision to then non-tender him and be like, why? Why didn't you just trade him? Uh, 
So yeah, I think he's a hold. Uh, Luke Voigt, eight point two million. Yeah, I'm probably. I've been team non-tender on him in general. Yeah, I think they could probably find somebody similar or better for cheaper. And given their history, I feel like they will probably try to find somebody cheaper. Maybe not better, but cheaper at least. I, I think that it's not a slam dunk either way. But yeah. I think that given the current Nats and their current state, trying to sell, trying to pinch some pennies, I could see them cutting him loose and then trying to find somebody else for five or six mil. Because like he's not somebody that you know, even if he has a hot first half of the year, you know, is somebody really going to give up much for Luke Voigt? They've seen his track record before. It's not like right anybody's really going to believe in it either. Whereas you can get right. somebody that's maybe fallen off for a year for a bounce back instead. Yeah, no. And it's, it's one, like you said, with his track record and the fact that if they were to sign him, it would definitely be with the eyes to trade him that you need to have him on a contract that seems like really good value. Mm. Do you, what you're not looking for the team that's looking for the bat, of the trade deadline because he's not he's not going to be that so instead you need to be like well you didn't get the bat of the trade deadline here's this guy who you know hits pretty reliably hits home runs you can put him at dh you can occasionally put him at first base you know it's not like a complete david ortiz Hmm. uh you know and he's also a good team guy who you could just sit on the bench too and wouldn't have an issue with that if he was on a contending team rather than on us and okay, he's only coming to you for $4 million, $5 million. Like that's something somebody's going to go and pay at least a little bit of value for. I agree, Sean. 8.2 is definitely on the line of that might be too much. And he also uh, which, has had a really bad injury history too. Or like yeah. he's he's only stayed health. Like this past season was his first pretty much full season. And he still missed some time. I think there's just yeah. too many of those little... Eh, 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 eh. Yeah. Yeah, like if this was any other year besides you know this year maybe in, and next year, for the Nats, eight point two million for Luke Voigt would be something I would immediately pick up because he's mm-hmm. gonna be something that will add value to your team. Eight point two isn't enough to be prohibitive. It's only a one year guarantee, you know, and that unlocks your ability to go get free agents in other areas. But since that's not the reality they're living in, they're looking for something tradable, I don't think that's necessarily tradable. Uh, and they might go a different direction, but I also agree, TJ, it could just be a yes. I <laughs> might just be yeah, overthinking I, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. $4 million, you'll get something of a flyer at the trade deadline. That is true. You will have already paid half of that salary before he's getting traded. Um, all right, Eric Fetty, $3.6 million. Now, pitch, but <laughs> does it have to be him? My exact Eric Fetty. <laughs> so Carl Edwards, keep in mind, Carl Edwards Jr., I'll say this at the service time, that w- this would be Carl Edwards Jr.'s last year as arbitration eligible. Voight and Fetty, this would be their penultimate year. So if you keep Eric Fetty at $3.6 million, you have the option to keep him again the year after. I don't know if that makes it any better or <laughs> Is worse. Is that a though. threat? <laughs> Uh, I mean I don't know like I don't think 
there's nothing that's like unlocked that we could like unlock in him. He can't pitch more than like five innings a start. I mean, he was really over, bad this year. Over <laughs> I, 30. My initial thought yeah, is like, man, as a five, six, it's not bad. And then I start to think about it. I'm like, do I really want to pay three and a half million dollars for a five, six? No. Okay. And a five, six, that's like a bad. Five, yeah. <laughs> I would pay. Yeah. I'd pay three. You know, it's like when they signed John Lester in 2021, yeah. like that's, that's the quality five I'm paying three and a half million dollars for, you know, not somebody who has sucked his entire career, but happened to be a first round draft pick. So maybe this will work out somehow. Yeah. He's the type of guy that should be a borderline, you know, non-roster invitee to, yeah, uh, you know, to spring training, not a so, uh, guaranteed contract, let alone a three million dollar one. Here's the question no, they, I have. Oh, go ahead. Who is your low level free agent that's available? All right, well, that's why I have both these tabs open for it's, MLB trade it's rumors. Eric Fetty once we non tender him. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Eric Fetty, that's the other thing you could do is just non tender him and bring him back. You know, yeah, like Luke Voigt won't come back. I think we had this conversation last time. Like Luke Voigt, he's just gone if we non tender him. He'll sign um, a good team. Eric Fetty, where's he going to go? <laughs> Home. Chris Archer, maybe. Yeah. Is Archer healthy again? I mean, he's, he's 34. More than he's 34 Eddie. and has been injured and ineffective for a long time. So I could definitely see him being into that kind of spot. Uh, did he pitch last year? Wade Miley just I seems like, like the type innings. of perfect, perfect, perfect yeah. for that. Like, well, he made like 12 mil this year, but that was obviously way too much. But that was like on a, he got waived. Yeah, I think uh, Kyle Gibson yeah. would probably fit that role. Um, do, 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 do. Try to see who else. Cause I mean, like maybe not older for 3.6 mil, but I mean, like, you can just get them instead. Ross Stripling, how about that? Yeah. Wade Miley. Yeah, Wade Miley just, I, I didn't even have to, like, think about anything. I just like, Wade Miley, Drew Smiley, anybody with, <laughs> it, with that Y at the end of their name. Yeah. Unfortunately, Shelby Miller's still alive. <laughs> Didn't he try and pitch for somebody Apparently, this year? Fortunately, not. Maybe I feel like he got called up to somebody this year. Yeah, he the other one I saw, the I saw Giants saw. this year. Sorry. Not good. No, no, I, I didn't think you'd look it up that fast. Yeah, <laughs> pitching for the Giants. I was already clicking um, on him when TJ started talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was that excited. <laughs> I was gonna talk. I was gonna talk through the searching and say James Paxton, unfortunately, not gonna be available because he has a four million dollar player option. So he won't be <laughs> worth. He won't be there for four million dollars. Um, David Price is retiring. Jose Quintana probably had enough of a career resurrection that somebody will pay him a little bit more. Anibal Sanchez. Well, no, but he's our ace. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He's a one. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah. We're looking for a five. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's it there. Smiley was kind of good. Verlander will get better. He has. He also has a player option he might pick up at 25 mil. Um, Mike Miner. What, was, what did Mike Miner do last year? He's 35. I'm just looking at the guys who are the oldest people on this list of free agents. <laughs> You know who's not that old is Matt Harvey. He's only four years older than Eric Fetty. That is true. 
Ooh, Mike Miner was very bad this year. He was, so he would. But that come means he'll come cheap. Price, yeah. And the previous year, he had a two point three FR. Bad, not really bad. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he kind of went from good in twenty nineteen to bad in twenty and twenty twenty one, and then really bad last year. So you know, pick him up, hope for just bad instead of really bad. So there you go, Mike Miner. There's your answer. Um, okay, back to arbitration. So I, I assume Fetty were saying no at three point six million. I'd say God, like, God no. You'd say non-tender and maybe sign him back if you really, really want Eric Fetty. Mm-hmm. All right, next one, Victor Robles at two and a half million. So my opinion on Victor Robles, I've I've had a lot of time to think about this over the last like two years, and while He's not worth two and a half million. He's also the exact type of player that a team like the Nationals should be trying to give multiple chances to. And while he may need to change his scenery to turn into the player, you know, or at least like 85% of the player we thought he was going to be, at the end of the day, it's better to keep him and then lose him for nothing after next year when he's only got one year left, let, let alone two and give him one more shot than it is for him to go at the age of what, like 25 or 26 or whatever he is. And then like turn it around right, you know, right now for somebody else and then make us look stupid while we're out here starting, you know, somebody terrible in center field anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially because Lane Thomas definitely cannot play center field. So you don't really have a center fielder otherwise. No, two and a half million is just, He's not worth two and a half million in my eyes, but he's also worth close enough to it that it's not like a it's not worth getting rid of him over. I think it's sort of of like the Michael A. Taylor when he was like the fourth outfielder type. I'm like, yeah, two and a half million for that with a little bit of upside. Maybe it's the baseball equivalent of the impulse buy. It's low enough that it's like, yeah, sure. What the hell? It's the candy bar by the uh, the cash yeah. register. It's like if you go to the candy aisle, you can get an entire bag of candy for like a dollar more, but you can get this one piece of candy here, but it, but it's right here. It's already here. <laughs> and then you don't have to walk back to the candy aisle. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the issue for him is really that they're too far away now from his good season to be able to execute a change of scenery trade that would actually get something useful back. You know, you're not, it's going to be, it's not going to be like, oh, we'll give you our struggling person for your struggling person. This is going to be, we're going to give you this trash that might be useful for, you know, some random guy in single A, low, you know, rookie ball who throws 100 miles per hour. Yeah. And that's the only thing that he knows how to do. <laughs> you know, we so, should do a change of scenery trade within the franchise and, and just trade him for Carter Keyboom so they can both have a change of scenery. And both decide. To so, are you saying put Carter people this in year field and Victor Robles at third base, or just tell them <laughs> that they've been traded for each other? Well, I'm down for whatever. Put them on camels and have the camels, you know, cross each other or whatever. I don't, I don't care what kind of ceremony you have well, to do. True. I mean, this does sound like their very effective move in 2019 when they fired Davy Martinez and then hired interim manager Davy Martinez, who then proceeded to win the World Series. And then the biggest mistake they ever made 
was hiring interim, giving interim manager Davey Martinez the full-time job. <laughs> it's gone downhill since then. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Robles, I agree with you. Robles at 2.5 million. It's low enough that it's worth holding on to because you're not... There's nobody he's really blocking right now. And then, you know, if one of your prospects just explodes and needs to be put in center field, then, you know, stump him. <laughs> Just eat two and a half million. It's not really that big yeah, of a no. deal. That's that's only that's less than a third of a Luke Voigt. Yeah, um, especially because teams just aren't really interested in trading. They like everybody else is holding on to people and prospects as much as they possibly can. So it's just you're not really going to find somebody else similar out there anymore. Um, all right, Tanner Rainey, uh, he's in his third year of service so he has three years remaining at one and a half million is he gonna miss the whole year uh i don't think i mean he got injured pretty early on so i think he'll come back at some point next year i don't think i've seen a news story either way but just based on that timeline and when he went out i think you'd have a chance of coming back at least at the end of the year next year yeah i mean at that price he's probably Oh, he didn't. He didn't have it until August. Yeah, so he's done for basically the year. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought he had it later. Interesting. Earlier, I mean. Yeah. I mean, he still yeah. has three years of remaining. So you're paying one and a half million, and it's not going to go up by that much next year because he won't pitch at all. And then you'll have two more years. And you'll have two more years. And if you release him, you run the risk that he happens to sign for somebody else. Yeah, you know, all you do if you release them, all you're doing is saving at best eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it would be an interesting at thing that to point. Do. And it's not like he even takes you know, well, he gets immediately put onto the 60, 60 day IL. You know, the second you're allowed to, anyways. So yeah, you know, might as well. I mean, he showed some signs of being decent this year. Yeah, go for it. Keep him. Okay, next one. Hunter Harvey, also in his third year of service, at $1 million. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one's... Barely over the minimum. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Victor Arano, third year, $1 million again. Yep. Hell yeah. Elite, How good was he, feature. actually? I'm like, I gotta go back and look now. Um, wow, he, he did not do well down the stretch. <laughs> That was what going to be my concern. Yeah. I mean, Hunter Harvey is our number one pitcher, so you you guys passed that one with flying colors. Of uh, pick him up for one million dollars, Victor Arano by WAR, the sixth best pitcher at point three. So he did have a bit of a fall off, um, but I mean, you still got it. it's only one million dollars. And didn't he win pitcher of the year for them for the entire major leagues? <laughs> for the Nationals. Isn't there an award for that? <laughs> uh, 2022 Media Awards. Lane Thomas, I know, was player of the year. He'll, he's coming up. Uh, oh, no. Erasmo Ramirez won pitcher yeah. of the year. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah. It's basically the same player. Just one has a good ERA and a bad FIP, and the other has a bad ERA and a decent FIP. Uh, so there you go. 
Um, I think Arano like had enough. He showed enough promise, and he had, he kind of clustered his giving up a lot of runs games around when he was hurt. So I assume he probably was pitching hurt during those. So I won't hold those against him considering how bad we are and that it's only a million dollars and the minimum salary is 700 K fair. Uh, all right. Now we'll come up to nationals 2022 player of the year. Lane Thomas 2.1 million, three years to go, three years of uh, arbitration remaining. That seems really high of a projection for him. Just I mean, like, Lane Thomas, yeah, he's the highest of their players who are in their third year. He is $400,000 less than Victor Robles, who has a whole extra year ahead of, of service time, more than him. Um, for reference, because the Orioles are right here in front of me, Austin Voth, who's also in his third year, is projected at $2 million. So Lane Thomas is $100,000 better than Voth. And uh, Cedric Mullins, you might know, is projected at $4.4 million. So that's how much a good player is projected at in their third year of eligibility. Or their you know, first year of eligibility for arbitration for SARB year. So $2.1 million. I mean, I think you keep yeah. him. Like, it's... Who cares? I don't think he's should be a 2.1 million arm guy. And maybe that's something that maybe the MLB trade rumors, like algorithm or whatever, like there's always like kind of edge cases where they're off on. Maybe this is one that they're off on. They settle for something else. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like somebody, cause he's only played one full year. I mean, he did hit 17 and eight steals this year, but he doesn't have like the old school stats that arbitration generally likes, like the runs and RBIs and, batting average he doesn't have like great any other like you know any of the sabermetric stats he hasn't even really played that many games it just seems kind of weird but i mean two yeah you know, i mean that's, there. that's fair because trent grisham i'm looking here in the padres is also in his first year of arbitration or you know third year of playing service time and is at 2.6 million isn't he a two-time so, gold glove winner uh, uh, maybe <laughs> I don't got know. Two, yeah, Grisham's got two, two point two, two point two, and two point one. Fr the last three years. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He makes a lot of really boneheaded errors in wild card games. Yeah, that's mostly what I know about him. Well, he um, also hits like one hundred, but everything else, you know, he but but he puts up the stats that are like that you know are traditionally is like, which is the home runs and the steals. And I mean, I guess, I guess Thomas did have 17 home runs and eight steals, but like yeah. he did it once. Yeah. A future 2020 guy. I mean, if they On make the seasons, if they make seasons 200 games, he might get to 20 steals. Um, he just got to, Davies just got to unlock him, unleash him, you know, let him, let him run like he wants to not just bottle him up. Uh, yeah, I mean, 2.1 million is still chump change. Yeah. You know, you're pay. I mean, at this point you're paying for performance more than potential really. Uh, but the performance has been pretty decent. So you might as well find out what's going on there. And he's somebody uh, that like theoretically, if he breaks out, 
you know, you could be like, yeah, like he was just blocked, you know, and he's, he's just another uh, Cardinals outfielder who was blocked by all those other talented guys and look at him now. He's blossoming and trade him before oh, yeah. people, before he turns into a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately he, he did the reverse of that this year where he started the year awfully and then played his best baseball basically at and after the trade deadline, which is very unhelpful, my man. Got it's like the Fetty rule. First half of the season. First half. Fetty always would wait until he was about to lose his job and then put like two good starts in a row and then get yeah. killed two games in a row, be on the block again, and then go back. It's a great strategy. All right. Coming up, our last two here. We have Ildramo Vargas, uh, also in his first year of eligibility at $1.1 million. Again, we're at impulse buy territory. I'm like, why the hell not? Yeah. Really yeah, with I mean, him, it's like, like, unless you need the roster spots for somebody else. Yeah, I, it's basically what they did with Mikel Franco last year. I mean, unless there's somebody like Franco who you could put at, you know, if they beat Carter Keyboom for the third base job and could also potentially be tradable. Do, do they have to be like but Michael Franco? I don't think like, that do exists. they have to be <laughs> terrible? Uh, they don't have to. <laughs> I mean, they have to be kind of bad because, yeah, I mean, I, I would say there's not anybody really interesting here on this free agent third base list. Uh, so I would say Vargas makes sense as your guy who is this very low bar that you hope. Carter Keyboom can manage to clear to jump on his way to starting the season as the starting let's, third baseman. Let's be careful about the jumping or anything. Let's just get him to the season. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. So, I mean, that's what they did with Franco. Uh, yeah, I think Vargas works well in that role. And, yeah. and he can play a if, bunch of different positions. He doesn't really strike out much. So it's like he can kind of do enough little things that you know, making a million yeah, bucks to stick him on the bench. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah. I end of the year with a 96 WRC plus 280, 308, 398, which is fun. So yeah, like he's like that Sean doesn't, uh, he just hits the ball. <laughs> does not walk. Doesn't strike out at all. Um, which is nice. If you ever need a pinch hitter, unfortunately with the universal DH, you almost never need a pinch hitter anymore. Because uh, those would be pretty useful. That was kind of the, the Harado Pardo strategy. Is all I know how to do is put the ball in play, and I'm still <laughs> sort of fast, so it works out often. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, one million dollar. Why not? All right. Last one. In his first year of eligibility, Kyle Finnegan, two million dollars. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There's not really much more to say about that. He was fine. $2 million is not that much money. You need somebody to pitch. Wow, his average fastball velocity last year was 97. I don't think I noticed he was throwing it that hard. And what he's also somebody that they should absolutely 1,000% trade next year if he is decent at the deadline because yeah. he'll still be like controllable enough. And also he's... I mean, he's going to be Next year is his 32, 30, yeah. 31 year old year. Yeah. But yeah. this is 30. So he's he'll 31 next year. Yeah. Um, but he's also, he's gained a mile per hour on his fastball. 2020 is 95.2, 2021, 95.7, 2022, 
2022-97, which is mm-hmm. fascinating because it almost leads to like zero change in his stats whatsoever. Uh, like his strikeout rate has runs. been it, K per nine, 9.85, 9.27, Home runs per nine was only 0.73 and then jumped up to 1.23 and then 1.22, exactly the same. Uh, ERA 355 last uh, 2021, 351 2022. I mean, all is very similar. His FIP was a little bit lower because his walk rate did go down. He dropped like a one and a half walks per nine innings, which is nice. So, you know, if he can pitch to 2022 again, that's actually a pretty useful reliever. Uh, but it is kind of funny that he is throwing harder. And not walking people, but also just giving up more home runs. <laughs> You've almost got it. If you could just have kept your home runs low and also stopped walking, would have been perfect. But I got to say, I'm I'm looking at this arbitration article, and you go all the way down to the bottom. They're like, Nats hope to have a good chunk of their next winning core already in place, and then list a bunch of names but slide Lane Thomas right in the middle. It's like Keeper <laughs> nice. Marie, CJ Abrams, James Wood, Lane Thomas, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, Robert Hassel III. It's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just got, like, Lane Thomas has got to show up on the first day of spring training with, like, his skateboard and hat on backwards. <laughs> like, What's up, fellow kids? <laughs> We're all top prospects who are future players for the Washington Nationals. Am I right, my dude? I did like the uh, the Nats.com like offseason FAQ. And uh, if you ever want to teach understatement to anybody, here's how you teach it. Which players are free agents? Steve Ciszek, Sean Doolittle, Will Harris, Cesar Hernandez, blah, 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 Joe Ross, Anibal Sanchez. None of them are likely to receive a qualifying offer. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> You don't say. <laughs> but they could be, they could get one. They have until the fifth day after the conclusion of the World Series until 5, 5 p.m. So so keep keep tuned in just in case. Just I mean, in they case they just get, decide to hand out $19 million. <laughs> all of those guys could get offers with qualifications that state that they're minor league offers. And maybe you'll make the majors. <laughs> It's like, well, those guys combined to make what the qualifying offer is next year Absolutely. for the rest of their career. Not even Absolutely just like, not. like no. not even just next season, like combined for the rest of their career. No, no way. I mean, because most of those careers are over. Yeah. I mean, C-Sheck is pretty much over. Cruz is almost certainly done. I didn't say Cruz, um, but yeah. You didn't say right. Cruz. Yeah. I'm just going to include him. I think I skipped Ross. Uh, Ross is probably yeah. the only one that could like theoretically come back and is young enough and yeah. is a starting pitcher, but is he yeah. 30 yet? I feel like he's older than I realized because he's been around forever. He made his NAS debut in 2015. Oh, he's still only 29. He turns 30 in, uh, Feb- um, March, May. <laughs> I don't know what numbers are. <laughs> in one, one of those, those months. months with only one number, not two of them. So, yeah. He's somebody I feel like they'll find a way to bring back. I mean, that's worth a flyer at the right price. Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's 
you know, it's a familiar franchise for him when he's coming back from Tommy John. And also he knows that like, once he's healthy, he'll be able to have a job, you know, whereas if you sign with somebody else, you know, you might be on a short. Well, leash. I mean, he knows with the Nats, all he has to do is beat out Eric Fetty. So. <laughs> Not. Uh, any of these other names? See a Nats uniform again. Who else? What were the names again? Where, Sanchez, where you... Oh, yeah. C-Sheck, Doolittle, Ramirez, and then uh, Joe Ross. Well, I mean, you got to bring... Ramirez was the pitcher of the year. <laughs> pitcher of the year, yeah. Yeah, pitcher of the year, Rasmo Ramirez, you have to bring back. Um, Sean Doolittle, if he wants to pitch again, uh, I would assume the Nationals would pretty much be the only team that would be giving him that opportunity. I want to say see... I read that he thinks he's good to pitch next year. I feel like I saw something about that. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think he will. It's hard to say. I mean, I, he was, he hung out around the team the whole rest of the year was in the dugout a lot. It was apparently at the off season ticket holder off season event yesterday. So, and he lives in DC now. So it's, you know, if he's going to sign, there's no reason they wouldn't let him sign because he, be pretty much the only person who could do marketing for them. Um, and, but it did like, he was hanging around a lot last year and he had like this, like Bucky Barnes cast on his arm, his left mm-hmm. arm. Sorry. Uh, so he, I don't know if that's something at his age, you're like, Oh yeah, I definitely, after this injury that required this amount of, you know, cast work and all that, I would totally want to come back and try to pitch again. It uh, looks so like he got that surgery essentially to get ahead so he could pitch in 2023 rather than probably screw up his elbow worse if he continued to pitch in 2022 and then need Tommy John. So yeah. it'll probably depend on how his rehab goes and if it's stable enough, then I would assume he probably will come back. And if it's not stable enough, then maybe not. Okay. Um. Other decisions here, Nelson Cruz, apparently that decision was made today. Uh, wouldn't you know they are passing on that option? Yeah. And he's not picking up his part, I don't I, Or is is it a mutual? It's a mutual. Or was it a vesting? Okay. It seems like he doesn't really want to come back because he wants to go somewhere where he has a chance to win, which seems weird why he signed here to begin with. Well, with what was said, I guess he assumed that he'd get traded. Well, trade either get line. traded or, I mean, the things that were said directly after he signed made it sound like they had more of a plan, and then yeah. nothing else happened. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about that once people have moved on. Um. And then we have guaranteed contracts looking at Steven Strasburg, who is owed uh, so much money. And then Patrick Corbin <laughs> is still owed $59 million through 2024. Oh, I heard somebody say this week that, uh, I don't know if it was you guys, that apparently the Nats were close to a deal at the deadline to trade Corbin for Marcelo Zuna. Huh. Oh, yeah. Well, I so that was a note 
on the Brave side. I don't know how close okay. it was. Or I mean, at least Atlanta it was like side, discussed. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like Mark Bowman or whatever for Atlanta said that they had talked to the Nationals about trading them Ozuna for Corbin. You know, and that, you know, that was like kind of the, uh, the overall level, but he didn't really go anywhere. So mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure. And nobody from the National, none of the Nationals reporters really followed up on it that I saw. So I'm not 100% sure whether it was like uh, Atlanta was like, well, we got to get rid of this Ozuna guy. You know, the only thing anybody would ever trade us for it. But, you know, we want somebody who's playing now on our major league roster. We need a pitch. You know, we need starting pitching because of our injuries, you know, and the only per- people that anything would, you know, only person that people would trade to us for Ozuna was somebody else who was, similarly terrible with a bad contract that they want to offload. Lo, let's go talk to the Nationals about Corbin. And then the Nats said, you know, and it could have just been that they called them and the Nats said, hell no, we're not taking on Ozuna. And that was the end of the discussion. Or maybe they, they actually had legitimate discussions around how a deal would work out. And it probably then would have fallen apart based on the difference in contract yeah. term and salary between Corbin and Ozuna. Because uh, Ozuna is getting paid, both are getting paid a lot. Corbin's getting paid a little bit more, and for a little bit longer. Um, that you would think that the Nats would be like, no, we just want to offload all of it if we're doing this. And the and Atlanta is like, well, we want to even it out. It's like, well, then why would we do this? Our only incentive is to get rid of all of it. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, it, it's hard to say. I mean, my hope would have been that if they were to do such a thing that they would immediately be dumping Ozuna. Uh, it would also be kind of funny if they had made that trade just a year after they got rid of Starling Castro after his suspension saying that, you know, they're not going to, which I think was a very good stand to take. Yeah. If it was true that they were not going to have somebody who committed domestic violence, even if they've already served a suspension on their team, because they know that their fans, you know, they don't morally approve of it and they know their fans wouldn't. That would be an interesting thing to then follow up the next year trading for a guy who not only has domestic violence accusations against him, has also had multiple DUIs mm-hmm. and you know, yeah. actual arrests. I would uh, be amazed if they made that trade and actually kept him. I assume that they would just cut him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure that it probably came down to like, yeah, the Atlanta probably just was like, yeah, we'll trade him to you and even out the contract because we know you want to get rid of uh get rid of Corbin and we want to get rid of him and you know, whatever. And the Nats were like, Well, no, we don't wanna We just want yeah, we only want to make that contract so we take less of a hit up front when we get rid of you know, we can't really cut Corbin because that's just too much money that we have to pay him. But if yeah. you take Corbin will we can then dump Ozuna. I mean, the other thing maybe with them looking to sell the team and Corbin having pretty significant deferrals in his contract. I mean, one thing you can do, you can work out in the sale that, you know, you lower the sale price by X amount, or you say it's sold at this price, but also on, you know, there's a hundred million going back to cover whatever those deferred payments were over the years that the learners owned it. Mm-hmm. It's possible you could do that. The easier thing is to uh, trade that person and have those deferred payments all on somebody else's books <laughs> and not your own, um, which might be something that they were trying to do as well. 
uh, and then you get somebody back with no deferrals, and either you keep him or you just you know cut him immediately, and then that's not on the books anymore uh, for when you go to sell the team. So it looks like Corbin's deferrals aren't say. bad. I thought they it looks were like ten. Oh, okay. That's not that bad. Strasburg. Yeah, those are going to be rough. Strasburg's now are interesting because I think now isn't there like a slight overlap between his deferral payment and his like new contract? I think you are right. If I remember, I I don't remember what the deferrals were on the previous contract, and I'm looking up a different thing. That's not going to give me that answer. Um. Yeah, this doesn't tell you deferrals. Darn it. It's unhelpful. Let's see. Steven Strasburg. Contract. Seven years. Average salary, $35 million. That's bad. Um, upcoming deferred contract. Oh, yeah, it's already happening. I think it's happening. Maybe oh, I don't know how to read this. Cause it says from 2020 to 2030. So what this says I'm on sport track. So that's like, you know, take that the grain of salt. Yeah. That's what I'm trying. I'm looking at the same thing, but I'm trying to figure out. So down towards the bottom, it says 80 million deferred 26.6 oh, yeah, in 27, 28, 29. Okay. So they probably just reworked when he opted. I guess he opted out of the previous yeah. contract. They might have just then reworked when they were going to pay him the deferrals, if there were any from the previous contract. Maybe there weren't. Maybe they only deferred him the other one. That's also like this is really great that like you look at Sport Track and they have like this little status bar button, and it's the first three years of this contract all have the little hospital <laughs> sign <laughs> next to them for status. It's like great. 31, injured. 32, injured. 33, injured. Well, great. Now we're just paying him for 34 to 37. I guess it would be bad even if he was not still injured and also a mystery of whether he was ever coming back. Ugh, that's too sad. Not going to keep looking at that. It's very difficult to uh, find right, and then hot. information about his 2017 deal because everything that comes up is just his 2019 deal. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, my assumption must be that when he opted out, and then they came up with the when he re-signed with the Nats, part of that contract pushed his deferrals to the end of the new deal. But that would be funny if he had deferrals from the 2017 contract that were getting paid <laughs> while he was getting paid with his new contract as well. That would be pretty fun. Seventy million in deferred um, from the 2017 contract, which would have been a portion for each year, and he was only on it for two years before he opted out, or three years before he opted out. So it would have been a shortened amount. Uh, Hot off the presses, though, is that MLB is now getting itself involved on the mass and part of the Nationals sale because they have an incentive to make sure that every new sale of a team is at a value perceived higher than the previous mm-hmm. sale. Uh, and the last one was the Mets selling for $2.4 billion. So he needs to make sure that with inflation, the Nets are probably getting about $2.4 billion at least as well. 
and Masson obviously is going to make that difficult. So now MLB is trying to get involved to give them, whoever the potential buyer is, more assurances of exactly how much money they would get paid by Masson. Interesting, though, that the way the article from Barry Sfrolga of the Washington Post kind of talk through it that there was there still didn't seem to be that much mention of what I thought what I think is the best idea of just having Leonces buy Masson as part of a side deal and get it resolved that way. But I mean I guess I guess the idea though would be if he were to buy Masson that way that he would then try to take that out of his payment to the nationals and that's not what MLB yeah. wants either. Um because they want it to be a $2.4 billion deal for the Nats, not a $1.9 billion deal for the Nats and a $500 million purchase of Masson or whatever. So uh, we shall see. But things, at, le- at the very least, hopefully it, it gets things moving again when it looked like they kind of had gotten to a standstill for a bit, for a bit there. So, And then obviously uh, Barry mentions... That they, even though Leonsis and company seem to be the runaway favorites right now, they're not locked in any sort of uh, exclusionary negotiation period at this point. So a- anybody else who has shown interest in the past could jump in if they see terms that they like coming across. Okay. Now, the only thing that you know I find potentially concerning about Leonsis is he's failed to be able to put a you know marginally good basketball team on the floor for the majority of the time that he's owned it. Yeah, but that's difficult. It's difficult to put a good basketball team together. I mean, only half of the league <laughs> makes the playoffs every year. How is he supposed to compete like that? It's very difficult. Like often at least one or two playoff teams. Actually, in this at this point now, over half the league makes the playoffs. Yeah, sixteen and fourteen because they have that weird play. Oh yeah, tournament. they go to like nine now. Yeah, they get to ten. They ten in each conference, mm-hmm. and it's a thirty-team league. So <laughs> two thirds. No. Yeah, two thirds of league. Yeah, two thirds of the, each league, each conference is making the playoffs in some capacity two of them are getting eliminated very early on but it's based i mean basically that play-in tournament is sort of the same as the you know the way that the wild card tournament you know kind of goes now for mlb so you know it i can tell it's that's a whole one-third of each conference not making the playoffs how how do you expect him to how do you deal with those overcome that such odds yeah i'm just uh i'm concerned about him crying poor in the face of not having a salary cap. Yes. No, I and mean, the, the key will really be if Rubenstein is ready to kind of pony, because uh, he's the one who has the actual mm-hmm. money in that group. Uh, if he is willing to put down the investment, like the hope would be that he is really kind of the owner of the team and Leonsis is there to help him, you know, get started and not accidentally create a commander's organization. Um, Which is, you know, if your goal is to not do that, it's probably pretty easy not to do that. Uh, Generally to create as toxic of an organization as the commanders are, you've got to be, got to be trying, 
but there are plenty of other sports owners out there who have a lot of money who try to put it all into the team and are getting absolutely nothing out of it. So, you know, based on the cap success and the mystic success and not the wizard success, uh, you could see him, you know, going with Leonsis. Yeah, you know, and, and potentially some of the you know, Leonsis also might have pitched him on some of his vision of where he sees DC sports in five years and ten years with how cable changes, how streaming is changing, how gambling is changing. Uh, those are all things he's clearly you know, especially the gambling front and the streaming front are two things he's you know, really focused on a lot. So that could also be Rubenstein just pulling him in because he liked the way that pitch went. So no, we'll getting see. ahead of the streaming game would be big on the sports front with as hard as it is to watch. If you don't have cable that, that could be huge for uh, him. I need it. Ideal for us would be that Rubenstein puts up a lot of the money. The front office is kind of allowed to do whatever they want while Leonsis is there just to kind of be the public face. So Rubenstein doesn't have to answer questions from people ever. Uh, and Leonsis can do more on the integrating of his various properties together. So that, that would probably be our ideal situation. And who knows if that comes to pass. But Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, if, if you guys are the new Nats owner, what is your day one? Like, here's the thing I'm doing to kind of show you where this team is going. Am I the new Nats owner like today, this off season or like what this off season? So some point early enough in this off season that I could actually do something. Uh, I mean, so the bad news for me is I feel like the way the team is set up right now, there's not really anything you should do. I, I guess if it was me, if I'm, if I become the owner now before the coaching carousel, I would definitely fire Davy Martinez and all his coaches. That would probably be my move. Maybe even Rizzo, probably not Rizzo. I'd, I'd definitely think about it. I would have to, so I would definitely fire Davy and the coaches and then on Rizzo in the front office, I would be like, you know, I appreciate what you've done so far. I like what you've done with, you know, you have a good track record for trades. You have a pretty good major league scouting organization, but your development is, and analytics is just dog shit. And you can't really compete year to year in MLB anymore without being able to grow your own players because people just aren't interested in trading people anymore. Um you're not going to get those trades. And I'd say like, you know, if you want to stay with the Nats, you have to let us invest on that side and bring in the experts that are needed. And maybe the answer that he would then tell me is, yeah, I've wanted to do that for the last eight years and the learners haven't let me. So give me $300 million and I'll get it done. And I'll be like, here's a check. Let's do it. And then maybe the answer is that he doesn't want to do it. And then, I would probably look in other directions. Um, but those would probably be my first two moves. I don't think you would do any, I would do anything on the roster side just because of the way it's shaped right now. They, they have interesting young players, but not star young players. So I would need to see one more year of them of the you know, one more year from Abrams, Garcia, Ruiz to at least do what they did this last year. If not, hopefully, take another step forward. I need to see Gray take a step forward. 
I need to see Gore healthy. I need to see Cavalli actually in the majors doing well. And then I'm going to be like, okay, time to make the investments, time to find, you know, the star players that we need to go around these role player guys. Uh, or if I don't see that, then it's let's restart again and get to, you know, trade these young guys to teams where they fit in a little bit more as role players and then try to get some more, you know, younger guys again and try to recycle with green wood, whoever I dra- whoever my front office drafts this off season, whoever they draft next year, uh, you know, try to house all those guys, you know, 19 to twenties, Susanna and see, you know, take another shot at it again with that group. Okay. Sean. I, so sorry. The question is like, if you're the owner, like, what are you doing yeah. on your first day? I'm doing I'm- all that on my first day. <laughs> The long <laughs> 24 hours. No sleep. I'm like Elon Musk at Twitter. I'm opening the door to my uh, Scrooge McDuck pool of uh, gold coins. And I'm putting all of those gold coins into player development. Which has been sorely not done at all over the last 10 years. And anybody that's made it through the system has done so in spite of player development. Not, not because of it. And then hopefully because of that some of these guys will not suck long-term. <laughs> okay. And then you could, I mean, player development doesn't stop once guy goes to the majors too. You can still invest in player development <laughs> at the major league yeah. level, believe it or not. Yeah. That's yeah, a, it's a fair point. That would help them right now. I mean, that's why I would fire the entire coaching staff. Cause I think they're terrible at it. You know, cause Ruiz, I mean, all those guys I just named Ruiz, Abrams, Garcia have all come to the majors. Key boom at a certain Robles at a certain and level stagnated. and then have gotten no yeah. better. I mean, you may just in, have in the case of, coaches though to help in the case of most of them, except Robles. The nice thing is that they haven't really gotten worse, but they have been exactly as kind of eh, to bad the entire time that it would be nice if somebody was there to, especially somebody like Robles where anybody paying attention to his career can see that he was just, did not have the right coaching around him. A little bit is his fault of uh, trying to take things into his own hand and make some wild decisions about what he should have done with his offseason training in 2020. But ultimately, having a coaching staff that knows how to nurture and grow a player and not just how to write their name on a lineup card and say, rah, rah, let's <laughs> you know forget tomorrow and win today. Like yeah, it's a great. That was a perfect mentality, for especially where where they were after May in 2019, for a very veteran leading group, who knew what they needed to do. They could all have all proven in the past they could play well, and just needed somebody to say like, let's you know who cares what our record is, let's go win. We'll go win today, then we'll go play tomorrow and hopefully win, and we'll just keep keep going. Perfect. Terrible for pretty much every other year that he's been the manager of the nationals, the situations <laughs> they've been in. So that is why, I mean, that would be, that's why that would be my day one. I mean, I think Sean, you're right in terms of investing in player development, but I think my mind is more on, I think these people have been in the way of that so far. That is not necessarily a part of it is a money thing that they definitely weren't investing in it. But I think it's also, you know, at the major league level, I think the coaching staff has been in the way of it. 
the front office level, it's definitely possible that, you know, the way that they think about the game, they could have been, you know, not really telling the learners that they needed more investment in player dev. They could have been telling them, that, oh, we have the perfect budget for that, for how we want to operate as a front office. And that's just not how it's going to work anymore. Yeah. So uh, I got to say, I'm with Sean on uh, putting that money into player development. I think that's a, that's a several day step for me, not a day one. Uh, nope. Just day, day one. one. <laughs> All day one. Develop the players today sign- <laughs> before you leave. I sign the papers. I want to see Victor Robles hit 10 <laughs> home runs in batting practice in a row where nobody's leaving this stadium. <laughs> I, uh, I sign those papers. I thank Patrick Corbin for his time and his contributions to this organization. And I say, please get the fuck out. Ooh, <laughs> that's a good one. That is, that is probably the only thing roster wise. I could think of that. that, That'd be like, you want to make the investment. It would make an immediate impact. It would please most of the fan base, at least the parts that I like. Um, Although I don't know if I was rich enough to buy the nationals, maybe I would be more pals with Patrick Corbin. Who's to say? Um, Yeah. But the thing is you're not making the roster any worse. So like, okay, if we want to be buddy, buddy and be weirdos, go for it. But, um, I I can eat that $60 million and call it a day. Yeah. Yeah, that that probably yeah, I can see that. That's a good one uh in terms of personnel. Cause, yeah, and that's that would be a good idea just in terms of doing something that's more visible. Um I think that would be the one downside of I think the funny thing is I think Sean's idea is probably the best idea is to like just take a huge amount of money and put it in player dev. But that would be so invisible. Oh yeah, take like four years for it to actually seen. Yeah, like most fans wouldn't even understand what you had just done. The fans who are smarter would be like, "Okay, cool," but also, you know, I I still have to sit here and watch this shit product <laughs> with these bad people for three more years before that's going to pay off. Um, that I, I think, you know just the way that things have kind of really tumbled after winning the world series, uh, you know, you were going to become the new owner. I think you'd want to do something more dramatic and kind of signal like, no, we're going back in the right direction again. Human sacrifice of Pete Cosma day one. <laughs> Full day. All right. Let's, uh, Let's live out these real fantasies now. Let's look at these free agent lists and then scroll all the way to the <laughs> bottom of them and look at where we'll be shopping. Say, we're not getting <laughs> any of them. Here's the free agent list. Uh, we don't need any. We, we're not going to pay for any of this. So there goes that. Um, all right. What positions would they even be? Say you only want to talk about a potential starter. I mean, if we start talking about who we're going to sign as the utility yeah. player, uh, that's going to get catchers bad. out. What positions um, do we need? What positions do we not need? <laughs> well, I mean, because the thing yeah. is, like, cat, you're not going to get yeah, a catcher. No. Yeah, you're not going to get Ruiz, a shortstop. Adams, Barrera. You're not going to get a shortstop. You're not going to get a second baseman. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the interesting one would be outfield. I, I think we looked at center field, right? There's nobody else. I don't know. Maybe it didn't. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody really younger 
young at all in any sense of the word who can play center field. So you're probably going to stick with Robles, is, like we talked about. In the is Hassel a center fielder or is he a corner? Probably uh, not a. Probably okay. not like he yeah. he can play there, but it's probably not okay. ideal. He yeah, I think at this point people he has stayed there in the minors. I think mostly because he doesn't hit for power, and so anybody who doesn't hit for power automatically they hope doesn't have to be a corner outfielder. It's fair, um, but I think he can't quite play it. But yeah, I mean I think Robles is going to be your center fielder. Lane Thomas is probably going to be a starter because he hit well enough to the end of last year. How, much, how well did he hit at the end of last year? I mean, I think, I don't think he's anything better than a fourth outfielder. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was 96. So, I mean, between him, between Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis, the MVP, <laughs> I mean, actually, I mean, Manessis is going to start somewhere. Yeah. Either that's first base or right field. I like you can just you, put, you can sign guys and then figure out where to put him. Right. Um, and then Thomas and Robles. So I mean, you could you're either looking at getting a first baseman or a right fielder. Um, and then third base, you're going to let Carter Keyboom come back one more time because he was injured all of last year, and you might as well. Yeah, there's no third baseman available um, at all. Three of your pitching spots. So you're you're gonna get one guy for first base, right field, or DH. It's potentially uh or maybe two. One or two for that trio of spots, uh, depending on what you do with Luke Voigt. And then your other thing is there are two starting pitcher spots, maybe one starting pitcher spot. Because if you, depending if you want Anibal Sanchez, because you're gonna have Gore, you're gonna have Gore, you're gonna have Gray, you're gonna have Cavalli, yeah. and then the question is, do you want to bring back Anibal Sanchez? Which, honestly, I'd probably say yes. He actually was kind of decent last year. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe I only happened to see like the couple of starts he was good. I was watching. Where is he? Is he on the second page? So maybe he wasn't. Maybe he sucked. I think that he put up, if I remember right, uh, he, he put, put up, up a good, good ERA, ERA, but it was not terrible actually fit. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. Four two eight ERA, five seven seven FIP. I was like, I thought he was like the only one with an ERA below five who started games for them, which is true. But also, he had a really bad FIP. So yeah, maybe not. That's up to you. Could be worth. So one or two DH first base right field types. One or two um, starting pitchers, and then relief pitchers, basically as many as you okay. want. So let's stick to uh, starters in the rotation. So let's say two of your first base okay. corner outfielder DH slot. And let's say two on the starting rotation as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the other thing, like the starting rotation, like if Cole Henry had not also gotten um, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, you probably would have been trying to hold a spot for him with somebody who was you know, pretty crappy. 
but since he did, you probably aren't doing that. And I don't think, Sean, you can correct me, I don't think they really have anybody else now close enough to major league level that you'd say, oh, let's keep that spot open for if they're ready to bang on the door. Nope. Pitching wise. And also like you got to have somebody old and dumpy that can eat innings because all these guys aren't going to go five plus. That is true. Um, I think that's going to be a real problem. They may even have to go with the six man rotation with a lot of those guys because like they'll probably want to try to baby Gore and Gray and um, uh, Cavalli you know, didn't really show the ability to go past five a whole lot. So unless you got a lot of multi-inning guys in the bullpen. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only, the only pitcher in their like top 15 who's close besides Henry, who you should put no expectations on whatsoever for next yeah. year is Gerardo Carrillo, who keeps getting injured all the time. And I think at this point is not a starting pitcher. Uh, in any realistic sense of the word. Yeah, I don't even like I, f- I feel like every time I try to look up like, oh, how's he doing? He's like his arm was amputated last week. <laughs> He's trying to come back next year with his other one. <laughs> Basically. Uh, yeah, and then position player way- wise, like you said, TJ, the only one who's kind of close there is Hassel, who's probably a corner outfielder, but also finished at double A last year, has a hamate bone, got a left the Arizona Fall League this year with a handmade bone injury, which usually takes a while because while it heals relatively quickly as an injury, it does not heal in a baseball sense nearly as quickly. Uh, that's one that definitely takes a while for players to recover from. I think Bryce Harper had a similar injury with his wrist around 2014 when he had his worst season of his career. Uh, so, you know, something that you don't necessarily want to be rushing as well. So I don't think anybody's bringing them to do another spot. So all that vamping to say that you are correct. Two starting pitchers, two <laughs> bats. All right. So in the bats department, um, first baseman side, Josh Bell, you can sign Josh Bell back. Um, Josh Bell is going to be a, a weird one because he had an awesome season with. He has been like on a huge roller coaster since getting traded to the Nats, where he seems to put three terrible months together and then three awesome months together. And he kind of made like a sandwich with the Nats, where he started 2021 awful, fit or well, post bet deadline did very well, started this year awesome, like best of his career, and then finished it really badly in San Diego was one of the reasons kind of they tanked out and nearly missed the playoffs. Um, if not for everybody else around them tanking harder. Uh, so, and he's going to be 30 entering mm-hmm. this year. So it, it'll be weird to see exactly what kind of deal he gets. I think he's still on the multi-year side, which is probably not where the nationals are, are going right now. Um, but I would like to have him back. He well, and cool. I bet he gets more than two. I can see the, yeah. the Nats absolutely giving somebody a two-year deal. I don't see them giving somebody a three- or four-year deal or right four. now. No. Um, I agree. And not to mention, he's had a taste oh, of actually winning 
So he might want to go back to that after spending his career in Pittsburgh yeah. and then coming to the Nats and going, Oh wait, we're going to suck for the two years that you're here. Yeah. Jose Abreu maybe has, he's 36. Uh, He has like some weird things around him. It could potentially end up if he does not sign with the White Sox. He's been very good, but with his age and not really being able to play defense anymore, uh, that he could end up in a, a spot where nobody really, none of the contenders really want to sign him. And the Nats can convince him, like, hey, come to us and we'll trade you by the end of July. Um, I think they'll probably end up with someone maybe like, yeah, somebody like that or somebody like Mancini. Even though Mancini wasn't very good this year, but he's sort of, you know, a familiar enough name and face, you know, that fans will be like, oh, yeah, yeah, so I got somebody to cheer for and he won't cost much. He'll only need a one-year deal. You know, if he gets hot, yeah. you can trade him. Yeah, Carlos Santana at a 102 WRC plus this year, mostly because his batting average is really bad, but he was still walking and still hitting home runs for the Mariners. He's incredible. Um, like, because he seemingly has been like both feet out the door for like, a while now and yeah still walks and i'm like who's pitching around him but then he hits a home run and i'm like okay that's why they are and he's yeah, better than the guitar which, too so that he is a very smooth player um <laughs> so he could be a hot one i don't think so at 37 so that that's also a potential option like a Brady. i i think of the guys of the first baseman they have a, there's a lot of older first baseman who are still pretty productive, uh, but there are probably not that many spots open for all of them that the Nats can probably try to convince because they're not paying anything for anything else, convince one of them to come hang out for half a season uh, with Jose Abreu, who's 36, Brandon Belt at 35, uh, Yuli Gurliel is 39, although he kind of fell off a bit this year. Um uh, Eric Hosmer, if he decides to opt out, I don't think he <laughs> that will, would be though. hilarious. That <laughs> would be quite a decision. Uh, Will Myers at 32. Will Myers. Uh, Myers Carlos is another Santana. one that sounds like it, it just sounds like Will Myers will be a national next year. It just yeah. know, seems like the kind of guy that they would get. Full circle with the Trey Turner <laughs> deal. Uh, and then Carlos Santana is 37. Um, and like you said, Trey Mancini is 31. So Mancini is an interesting one. Oh, and Jesus Aguilar, 33. Uh, so those two are a little bit on the younger side, but also are on the not quite as productive side. So I'd, I think one of those, any one of those, one of those guys is going to be a national. I'd be kind of surprised if none of them are. I'd be, I would be surprised if none of them were. Next spring. Yeah, I think that's definitely the, the list, the tier that they're looking at at this point, though. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is a lot. Like, once we started talking about them, there's just a lot of them in that category too. That they they can't possibly be. I mean, now I know everybody has a DH spot, but uh, a lot. You know, not that many teams like to really fill. You know, we saw this last offseason. Nobody really wanted to fill their DH spot with a DH, and the Phillies kind of showed 
why you know one of the few teams that did kind of sign players knowing they were going to put one of them at the DH and then Bryce Harper gets an arm injury that doesn't allow him to throw but he can still bat so now he needs to be permanent DH so now you need to be putting Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos in your outfield every single game that's why teams don't want to do that but boom you're in the World Series so they should want to do it that's exactly why they're there who is to say um (laughs) Left fielders, you have really old left fielders, Michael Brantley, who up until this year had been very good and then has been injured pretty much this entire season. Uh, Corey Dickerson, who is somehow only 34. That sounds wrong. (laughs) I think Adam Duvall, he's back on being bad again, right? I think so. He He was better this year than I thought he was, apparently. Like uh, no, or somebody to Duvall had an 87 WRC plus. So that's a oh, no. Oof. So Haniger, if they can get him healthy, Chad Pinder can play everybody can play everywhere. Ooh. And he's a Hokie. Exactly. We haven't had one of those yet. I don't think. I don't think so. No. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon yeah. would be kind of fun. <laughs> if you want more former pirates, uh, hanging Maybe around a guy like Conforto. If you're, I mean, I don't think he's going to sign with anybody good. I don't think anybody good wants him. So maybe he tries to go to somebody bad for a bounce back. It's definitely worth a flyer. Uh, David Peralta, 104 WRC plus this year. Yeah. Yeah. Guys like Tommy Pham, Robbie Grossman. Like every single one of those guys, um, I like I can imagine them as a starting outfielder for the 2023 Nationals just because – there's yeah. like only a certain bar of goodness that you can be to sign with us at this point. Right. So if you were to pick two, Sean, just wildly right now, who would you say are your two favorites to be on the 2023 nationals? Like of the like first of, base outfielder of, crew. Yeah. Like why I'll say one first baseman, one left fielder with the assumption that both of them probably would be better off as DHs anyways. I'd say Mancini and I'll go with Robbie Grossman. That, are those are your, sort of like what, what I feel like in my mind that they'll actually do. Okay. Not necessarily the ones sure. that I want the most because I don't really want any of them. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I did want to make sure that was clear. I figured that was the case that nobody actually yeah. wants any of them. Um, I am going to say, I'm going to guess Peralta and uh santana i think he's just a little too i think both of them are a little too old for somebody to make a commitment to them at the start of the year that the nats can kind of convince them that they'll trade them in july uh and hope it works out uh i'm gonna go will myers and honestly Honestly, Shocking. Trey Mancini. Sean, you didn't say Will Myers. Sean, you didn't say Will Myers either, did you? No. I mean, we're talking about earlier, when, we, when we said his name and all of us said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I could definitely see him on the 20th. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot about Proceeded <laughs> to TJ being the only the, one. Uh, the only thing about Will Myers is he still has the name. Yeah. There's nothing behind uh, it pain. anymore. It is no longer Will Myers like the guy with shine yeah, still on him, but he still has the name. I think nothing's, nothing's been behind that for like three years yeah. now though. 
But if you said to we'll anyone, the 2023 Nationals, we'll put another L in your name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his he like just barely above average hitting wise, which would have been nice if he could play any defense at all, which he could not from 2015, 2019. In the COVID year, randomly hit over 155 WRC plus, and then immediately we went back to what he was before <laughs> in the non-COVID seasons. Almost like that was a small sample size of only 60 games. Um, so I, there's nothing really behind that, but he is a little. He is only 30. He's only going to be 32 next year, so he's not quite at the super old age as some of the other guys that Sean and I pick. So I guess that would be the one thing he had going for him. Yeah, same with Mancini. I mean, early 30s. Yeah, just slightly above and league Mancini, average hitter. Mancini has the name recognition because everybody was like, why did the Orioles trade him yeah. this last you know, mid-season? So well, that might have given him enough attention that people will have had, had him scouted from July and say, okay, let's go pick him up. You know what, up. though? Trey Mancini has a story behind him that I could see the Nats yeah. going out and giving him just a little extra money to be able to have some sort of PR yeah, that you can go with rub it. Oh yeah. PR. That's what you're doing. Going for not rubbing it in the Orioles. <laughs> I mean, nose that we, and his, now. his wife used to work for mass and she probably can give them some dirt <laughs> on it. <with> that insider <laughs> information. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's the two I'm going with. I mean, I assume they've already plied mass and Dan for all of the insider information. <laughs> Nobody would tell Dan anything. Is Dan? <laughs> but he's been there for almost a decade now. That's true. Got to have learned something. I don't know. It's Dan. And he's now a Nationals team employee. Maybe that's why. All right. So we're moving on to starting pitchers. I already have my two. Oh, good. Because I don't. I haven't looked at it. You yet. can't just say no. Well, I, I have my two. They'll pick they'll pick one of the two because there's no way they could pick both because they need to actually have some guys provide innings. Okay. This is more of my like wish more than but I could see them I I, I would like to have so you're take just a flyer. Go completely against the rule we established in the previous <laughs> round on offense by now switching it to who you want them to do, not who you I, think will happen. I think it's who I want them to do that's semi realistic. Okay. I'll go with that. I'll say Here. either Sean Mania or Mike Clevenger, both of whom just completely tanked once they came to San Diego. Yeah. But have shown recently enough promise that theoretically you could bring them in, pump them up, and trade them at the deadline for something rather than, you know, just your standard innings leader sort. But of course, you'd have to, I'd say, only sign one of them because the chance of both of them spontaneously combusting is fairly high. So you need to get, you know, somebody else who you don't care if their arm falls off, like Michael Walker or something like that. They're like, eh, who cares if we throw him 200 innings and, you know, he has to start throwing left-handed halfway through because his right arm fell off. Or Wade Miley. Yeah. Wade Miley. Sorry. Wade Miley has got to be everybody's number one. And then yeah, Shamania or uh, Clevenger. You're just going to tell me who my number one is now? I don't think yeah. so. Yes, it's um, Wade Miley. 
Having watched Mike Clevenger, I would say, please no. Well, no, yeah. but he well, and he's also a bit of an asshole. Yeah, but he fit in perfectly. <laughs> um, if I'm going with who I think they're going to do, not necessarily what I want. Uh, I'm seeing Anibal Sanchez and Kyle Gibson. I was definitely going to go with Kyle Gibson. I was actually just going to be really glib and say Anibal Sanchez and Joe Ross, but um, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it's not Eric Fetty. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Gibson definitely jumped out on that list. I almost feel like he may be too good for the Nats. Like, I feel like he would end up getting picked up by a better team as like a five or maybe even a four. I, I mean, it's not like he's great, but there's not very much out there and he exists. Let's see. Let's look up Kyle Gibson. What do we got? Baseball reference. I think he's pitching right now. Oh, so potential World Series champion Kyle Gibson is who we're going to go get? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's tied for 11th amongst uh, free agents to be starters in FR. And I mean, like, he, he had a three FR season the previous year. And it's not like, you know, that's not the be all end all of anything, but he just seems to be kind of that, you know, can put up 180 ish innings of competent pitching out of your four or five spot. I don't know. Yeah. A 505 ERA and over a 1 3 whip. I think he'd be just fine. His for peripherals that. aren't quite. His peripherals aren't as bad as his ERA this year, though. Like, what's his? Uh, I mean, it's not like they're great. Four point two eight FIP. So it's not. I mean, it's not great, but it's not bad. But I mean, the previous year it he was under does four. have the Phillies defense playing behind him. So, um, I will say Rizzo did try to trade for him a while ago and was close. And it was like I think it was rumored to be part of an expanded like uh, span Alex Meyer trade a long time ago. And if you know anything about Mike Rizzo, it's that he loves to like call back somebody random that he was infatuated yeah. with, you know, eight years ago. So, I mean, maybe you guys are right. <laughs> Get on the Gibby train. I mean, I'd be happy if they got him. I just, I mean, and you, know, <laughs> you know, the Nats Twitter guy is just itching to start writing world series champion. Whoever <laughs> tweets again. They've been missing out. So you get Kyle Gibson in there. We're like, all right, today's pitcher is World Series champion Kyle Gibson. Don't ask what year it's from. <laughs> Just know he is right now a World Series champion. All right. We will see how these... Can't wait to see what way worse decisions they come up with instead. Yeah. We think we're being like realistic and ready to go. We're sorting the wrong way. Go Who's way the down bottom? the bottom. Michael Pineda. No. Oh. Well, if you let him put that neck stuff on that gunk on his neck again, he'll be great. Well, if I sort by the bottom, Annabelle Sanchez is fifth from the top. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Ooh, Robinson Cano. There we go. These are some real names that make sense. What Michael Franco, come home. 
We'll teach Cano how to play first base and then trade him. Charlie Culberson. It all comes all right, full circle. That's it. We know he can hit a national up. I'm leaving. Done. <laughs> Not talking about that. All right. Uh, that's it for our guessing game. We'll see how that works out for us. Uh, anything else we should cover? I think that has right? to be it. There cannot possibly be anything else going on. No. Besides what how, what's going on this weekend, yes, TJ? Yes, besides what's going on this weekend. Extra Life, once again. And what is that, TJ? <laughs> extra Life. Extra-life.com slash citizens of Nettstown. Extra-life slash dot org. <laughs> or dot com will, dot com will, slash will probably <laughs> take you somewhere else. I am also pretty sure that I gave the wrong URL earlier, so I'm going to update it in the show notes. Um, anyways. We're going to be playing games for 24 hours or until we pass out, whichever of those is less. Um, and yeah, come uh, come hang out. Come help us raise money for sick kids at uh, Children's National in D.C. And uh, let's, uh, let's do some cool stuff this weekend. Uh, we'll have links up in the show notes. They'll be on Twitter. They'll be on Facebook. They'll be all over the place. So it will be easy to find us uh, if you would like to come join us. All right, and with that, I believe we are ghosts.